Seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayerful attention to Numbers chapter 15 and reading for our text part of verse 3. <coughs> Numbers 15 verse 3 A sweet savour unto the Lord. The whole verse reads and will make an offering by fire unto the Lord, a burnt offering or a sacrifice in performing a vow, or in a freewill offering, or in your solemn feast, to make a sweet savour unto the Lord of the herd or of the flock. And is these words a sweet savour? unto the Lord, which you'll find repeated in verses 7, 10, 13, 14 and 24. Again and again, the sweet savour unto the Lord. We would remember the context here of when these offerings here were instituted. In the previous chapter, the Lord had judged Israel because they would not go into the promised land. The spies had brought back an evil report of the land. They, apart from Joshua and Caleb, said that the land was good, but there was great giants in the land and that they weren't able to overcome them. They discouraged the people, stirred the people up to rebel against the Lord and even to uh, try to stone Moses and Aaron and Caleb and Joshua. And the Lord said then that he would not be with them that they were to go back into the wilderness for another 38 years, making a full 40 years uh, to, during that time, have all of those above 19 years of age that had rebelled against the Lord, that they would perish in the wilderness. And those of the older generation that said that their children would be prey for the giants and for those that were in the land, those children, they would inherit the land. When they heard those evil tidings at first, they tried to change and said that they would go up and they would find that God had already uh, made the decision, already sent sentence and it was too late and he was not with them. They were put to the worst before the inhabitants of the land. And... Then they were then sent into the wilderness. And this chapter is the first chapter. It's the first beginning of them going back into the wilderness. They are under the chastening hand of God, the displeasure of God because of what they had done. And yet here we have those things that were designed to really encourage them. In the first place, we 
think of the idea that though God was not at all pleased with them, though he was dealing with their sin and with their rebellion, yet he would accept at their hand an offering and that a sweet savour as well. It's a blessed thing, isn't it? Though we may feel to be under the frown and displeasure of God, that we can still come into the presence of God. We can still come before him in prayer. We can still read his word. We can still come in the attitude of worship. And God does not say, depart from me. I never want to see you again. Never want to hear from you again. What an encouragement it is when we look at a passage like this. And Satan would seek to discourage us and turn us away. And we could point to this passage and say, well, if ever a people was walking in a way that was displeasing to the Lord and under his chastening hand, there was this people here. And the Lord then immediately sets before them, he was still, except of their hand, offerings. The second thing that is a great encouragement and that is that there is a speaking of going into that land. The second verse in this chapter, we read, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When ye be come into the land of your habitations which I give unto you. Even though that was to be another 38 years to go, the Lord is saying to them, though you are to go into the wilderness and that older generation pass away, I have not forgotten my promise, not forgotten my covenant, I will still bring you in. And this then you might say, why? Why give details of offerings that shall be not done immediately, but done when they come into the land 38 years hence, why are they being told now? And it is as a token that they will be brought into that land. We think of years later when they were to go into Babylon again because of their sin, because of their rebellions and evil ways. Yet God caused Jeremiah to buy land in Canaan and receive tokens of it that they would return from Babylon to that land and that land would be bought and would be sold again. So you might say in that case, 70 years before that came to pass, the Lord gave those tokens and intimations that they would be brought back. And in that it's a, it's a great mercy, it's a great kindness that God should do this straight after uh, administering the chastening to, to give them that ray of hope, that expectation of coming again into that land. And so for everyone under the chastening hand of God, we know from Hebrews 12 that it is the mark of sonship. The Lord chastens everyone whom he receives and that there is a 
token of restoring. There is that blessing that though no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous uh, but grievous, nevertheless afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness to them that are exercised thereby. And so there is an afterwards, and there was to be, with the children of here, here as well, and, and afterwards. So the Lord is still then speaking, speaking of those things that are coming to pass, those things that will happen in, in the future. And it's a good thing to have that expectation. In these gospel days, the Church of God is called to wait for his Son from heaven and to look for that uh, inheritance that is undefiled and in heaven. All the time the Lord sets before his people an expectation that they go forward, that they run the race that is set before them, that, as Paul said, that we are not to be looking back, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto that which is before. Yes, in, in one sense, as in Deuteronomy 8, we are to remember all the way the Lord, our God, has led us. We are to profit from it. We are to be humbled. We are to learn from our mistakes. But those things that are behind us, are not to hold us back. They're not to be a discouragement. They're not to uh, pull us back into the past, but we have to look forward and to press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. Many, many of us have those things that we would pray with the psalmist, remember not the sins of my youth, and those things that pain us. But those things are not to discourage us and bring us back. Yes, humble us and make us to go softly and before the Lord, but, but not to uh, be a discouragement from pressing forward and to going onward. And so the children of Israel here, naturally speaking, would have had heavy hearts, very discouraged, and yet the Lord balances it with those encouragements of what is to come. And in one sense, there's even further encouragements because we are told in verses 14 and 15 that the stranger that was sojourning with them, that they would be the same as them. They would offer exactly the same. They would be treated the same. An intimation of the Gentiles that were yet to be called and to be joined with them. An intimation also, even in the Old Testament, of evangelism, of those that were with them, that they should have imparted to them the truths of the gospel and the blessings that Israel had. And again, it is a reminder to us as well to share what we know and of the bless blessings of the Lord and of that which we look forward to, they will look to, forward to as well. And there's an expectation that there would be strangers. There would be those joined with the Lord's people. There would be the Rahabs. There would be the Ruths. There would be those that 
like even the Gibeonites that were numbered amongst the children of Israel. And so there is a lot that is of hope as these things are set before the children of Israel at this time. And may it be with us as well, whatever we are passing through, whatever may be making our hearts heavy and sad, discouraged by the way, and maybe our own sin weighing heavy upon us as well, that we have set before us that hope in the Gospel and especially in our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So the word before us this morning, a sweet savour unto the Lord. Three ways in which these offerings were to be so. The first is a sweet savour of things to come. A sweet savour of things to come. And secondly, a sweet savour of Christ that was to be to God and also to man. And then thirdly, a sweet savour to God as his people worship as he has prescribed, lifting up a precious Christ. Firstly then, a sweet savour of things to come. We've spoken of how it is things to come. Forty years later, or thirty-eight years later, the children of Israel going into Canaan, the promised land. But these things and these verses, these sacrifices, point to greater things to come than to an earthly Canaan and to the blood of bulls and of goats. When Paul writes to the Colossians in Colossians chapter 2 and verses 16 and 17, we read, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. These sacrifices, these things set before the children of Israel, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. And so we're clearly told that these things that we have before us are shadows. They are not the real thing. They are because of the real thing. You cannot have a shadow without the real thing, can you? And there needs to be light. There needs to be light between the real thing and or beyond the real thing and shining towards you to make there to be a shadow, to cast a shadow. And so when we have the shadows in the Old Testament, it is again as a very clear indication there is something real, there is substance that is there that is causing the shadow, there is light there that is casting this shadow. Then we have more clearly set forth in Hebrews chapter 10 where we read in the first 10 verses in that chapter of the law, that is the ceremonial law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things 
can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above, when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings, an offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither had pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So these shadows, they are taken away in Christ, but they are replaced by Christ. And they were to the Jews here, they were as a shadow, a sweet savour of things to come, an expectation that there is something waiting. They could have had, and we read in Isaiah 64, that it hath not entered into the heart of man what thou hast prepared for them that love him. And that is repeated by Paul. And in one sense it is fulfilled. The Old Testament church could never have anticipated what is now the situation in the Christian church, in every nation, kindred and tongue. But for the church now going forward, we are told that there shall be the new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. And again, it has not entered into our heart what God hath prepared for them that love him. We know that there are the sweet savours of things to come, the blessings of the Lord, the tokens for good, the earnest, they are those things that assure us that God is preparing a place for us and he's preparing us for it and he will come again and receive us unto himself. And it's a blessed thing then to have in the worship of God in that which the Lord has set before us in his word, a sweet savour of things to come. How often do we find it in meditating upon heaven, meditating upon beyond the grave, meditating upon our Lord, the apostle says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. That then is a sweet savour to us. And what must it be for the Lord, that anticipation, his will is, Father, I will that they whom thou hast given me 
Be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. And that number one day will be brought and completely made up. The Lord says, I am the first and with the last. There will be a last and the Lord himself shall be with that one, with that last one. Always remember just in this last year and seeing the race run by our granddaughter and there was many that were running that race and there were some that were slower than the rest and they came in a long while be behind the rest. But it was a beautiful sight to see the last coming in and the stewards that had been watching and looking over them during the race were running with that last one. They weren't allowed to just run on their own that last bit. And I thought of this word that, and with the last. The Lord's people, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Every one of them. And it is then to have the expectation of that which is to come as being a sweet savour, a sweet savour to us, a sweet savour to the Lord. This is not our rest, it is polluted, but above, that is sweet. A sweet rest, a sweet gathering together in heaven with the Lord and his people. But secondly, it is a sweet savour of Christ. All the sacrifices of the Old Testament, they all pointed unto Christ. Here is the offerings by fire, offerings that are joined with the herd, the flock, the beasts, there were meal offerings, meat offerings, offerings of wine, offerings of flour, offerings that brought forth a sweet savour. We think of the ordinances of the Lord's house, the Lord's supper especially, what the Lord has chosen to set forth his death and his sufferings, to set forth his broken body, the bread and his shed blood, the wine, and these things here and these sacrifices, they were to be joined together. And it was to not just create, and it must have been a very nice savour, a very nice smell, but that wasn't the aim and end of it. It was what it set forth. And especially as a believing offerer, was setting these things forth. They were doing it by faith, looking like Abraham who saw Christ die and rejoiced at it, a sweet savour of Christ. We have a very similar uh, situation immediately after the flood when Noah came forth after, out of the flood. The world had been destroyed. There must have been uh, just desolation everywhere uh, and, and yet a fresh start immediately after the judgments of the Lord. We read Noah builded an altar in Genesis 8 and 20 
Builded an altar unto the Lord, took of every clean beast and every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savour. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more every li- everything living as I have done. The Lord then renewed his his covenant, his promise. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest and cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And so the sweet savour of Christ, the eternal Son of God would come, would by his own offering put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He would be made a offering for sin. He shall see his seed. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. I lay down my life, our Lord said. I lay it down that I might take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. The great token of the acceptance of that sacrifice is the empty tomb, a risen Saviour. Here is the law fulfilled. Here is sin put away. Here is the debt paid. Here is the people of God redeemed, set free by the payment of a price. Here is the atonement at one moment the people of God who were estranged and far off by wicked works are brought nigh by the blood of Christ. And what the law could not do in that it is weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemns sin in the flesh. And it is that we might know the righteousness of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. That sweet saviour, this is my beloved son, in all please, the father of his son. This is the sweet saviour that is set forth here, points to none other than our Lord and saviour Jesus Christ. The ceremonial law was the gospel to that generation and to that people. And we can look back and we can see that as set forth in Hebrews 11, that generation, they died not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in the earth. Do we prize the promises of God? Do we embrace them? Is it true what Peter says, unto you which believe, he is precious, Christ is precious, and his name is as ointment poured forth, a sweet savour unto us and unto God. We have that assurance it is so, unto God. This is the gospel, this is the way of escape from the wrath to come, this is the hope of the people of God 
of acceptance with God and entrance into heaven. What a reminder here in these two chapters, 14 and 15. We have a clear picture of the sinfulness, the rebelliousness of man, even of God's people. And then we have God's provision for man. Rebellious man, he hath received gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. The gospel is not for the righteous, but for sinners. And again and again we have the contrast in the word of the Lord's blessing in spite of our sins and the Lord's visits undeserved, though they are, yet because of his sovereign mercy and grace. A sweet savour unto the Lord. So under this head then, we look to our Lord, look to Calvary, see what he has accomplished and what he has done. The great antitype of all the sacrifices, doing away from them, no more need of them anymore, but seeing in Christ a sweet savour unto the Lord. But thirdly, it is a sweet savour to God as his people worship him as he has prescribed, especially in viewing Christ. I've no doubt there were many in the Old Testament, many at this time, that offered these offerings with no faith at all. They didn't look past them at all. The same as today, there will be those that be gathering together in the house of God today and they'll go through the motion of the hymns and the prayers and hearing the sermons and reading the word of God and they'll go home and they'll do the same next time and the next time. Hymn writer says it's rounds of dead service, forms and ways. No mindfulness of to whom we are coming before. No mindfulness of this is worship of Almighty God. No mindfulness of Christ being set forth and that sweet savour in our assemblies of the ministry of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ lifting him up on the pole of the everlasting gospel gathering together in his name, worshipping him, bowing before him, being with his people, there'll be those that are not doing it as unto Christ, but even just doing it because of custom or doing it because they think that they will gain favour before God. But where there is real faith, where there are those that worship in the beauty of holiness and come before the Lord as he has prescribed, that is as a sweet savour unto God. Where are there those that are truly looking away from self, acknowledging their sin and in the way that God has prescribed, gathering together in his name and preaching Jesus. The Apostle Paul says, I determined to know nothing among you 
save Jesus Christ and him crucified. The commission given to us is to preach the word, preaching Jesus, preaching that way of salvation. We have the beautiful accounts of the sermon of our Lord on the way to Emmaus. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things to enter into his kingdom? And their heart burned within them as he talked with them by the way. The sermon that Philip preached to the eunuch, beginning at the same scripture, Isaiah 53, he preached unto him Jesus. And that to the eunuch was a sweet savour of life and led to obedience in the being baptised. It then is the sweet privilege of Peter to go and bring the word to the Gentiles, the same as the Lord had used him at the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was given. So it was in the house of Cornelius. And after he rehearsed the matter to the apostles, they said, Then hath God also granted unto the Gentiles repentance unto life. These things are precious in the sight of the Lord. When he looks from heaven, he sees the people of God walking in his ways, walking in the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper, walking in the gathering together, the preaching of the word, the love one to another, our fellowship with one another and with the Lord. All men shall know that ye are my disciples indeed, in that ye love one another. In that early church, the apostles, they took knowledge of them, that they had been with Jesus. Our Lord directs us to take his yoke upon us, to learn of him, who is meek and lowly in heart, and we shall find rest for our souls. But it's a sweet savour to God when there is a people that he shall say, it is my people, and they shall say, it is my God. When his sheep, they hear his voice and they follow him. And when he says that I know them, I am known of mine and I know my sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay it down that I might take it again. And so there is a sweet savour. And may it be so in our assemblies. May it be found. And it will be by the power of God. We cannot bring it about ourselves. Ourselves we have no life, no power, no spirit at all. But when that is felt, when it is known, and it is to be coveted, to look for and prayed for, that the Lord would come and give sweetness in waiting at the throne of grace, sweetness in gathering around his word and in meeting together, and then we may say, if such the sweetness of the streams, what must it be in heaven? What must it be to be there? It's a blessed thing to have some foretaste here below of the blessedness and sweetness of eternal things, of spiritual things, and to know that these are but shadows. 
that there shall be that substance that is to be inherited beyond the grave. Well, may this word then remain with us and may we in our assemblies make a sweet savour unto the Lord and may the Lord Jesus Christ be such to us and as we lift him up and as we worship him a sweet savour unto God as well. The Lord add his blessing. Amen.